Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1438, entitled, It is a Good Day to Dice. <laughs> Our podcast title is Friend or Morpho. Ooh. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Here we are talking about Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves. Obviously, they felt it necessary to put a subtitle in there to differentiate themselves from all the other parts of the franchise. And we're also going to talk about the new Apple Plus TV series, The Big Door Prize, which is such a gentle show. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess, British? No, made in Atlanta, Georgia. But you might be fooled into thinking that because Chris O'Dowd is its main male protagonist. Gotcha. Okay, let's go with D&D, &D, which always sounds to me like a roller door brand or something, you know. <laughs> it does indeed. Yes, we've both been along to the pickies. I've been looking sort of forward to Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves since I saw the trailer semi-recently. And this one was set for release a couple of years ago and then shelved and then brought back and then, oh, no, we don't want to compete with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. So it's been shifted quite a bit on the sketch. And now, oh. yeah, and now it has arrived. So we've had a few forays into Dungeons & Dragons movies before, all of which tangentially stem from, of course, the role-playing game. So I don't know how familiar, Rob, you are with the game. I believe you've dabbled, a light dabble in D&D &D yourself. <laughs> so let's be honest, this is a big fantasy geek trope. So like many things, I'm familiar with it from all of the parodies and the references and, you know, the drop-in Big Bang Theory sort of mm -hmm. episodes and all that sort of stuff. I've played it a grand total of once. <laughs> <laughs> and in that, I was so cautious. I didn't want to open any doors without checking each door from six different angles and casting <laughs> five different search spells and tying bits of string to doorknobs and that. It wasn't a really fun experience for me, but I believe you've had more experience at it. Yes, indeed. So I think it's a little tricky getting into D&D sometimes because you need to find people to form your party. You need to have a dungeon master. I think there's quite a bit more attention now paid to getting people into D&D &D by setting up special nights that are very beginner friendly where you can come along and play a very basic campaign with others who are at a similar level and someone who's an experienced dungeon master will take you through. So I think if you are interested in getting into D&D, &D, there's a bit more opportunity now. But, yes, I did used to have a weekly D&D &D game that I would play, uh, and that was my first time doing any kind of role-playing game. Uh, and basically just the quick overview of what the kind of thing that D&D is, if you're not familiar, um, you are walked through a campaign, which is sort of a story. Uh, someone runs the whole thing, the dungeon master, 
and they'll guide you through the story steps and set up the scenarios. And that includes battles sometimes. So you might come across a foe and then you, your character, which has already been preordained with its strengths, maybe things it's less good at, weapons and so on, you can choose a class um, of character. So you might want to be an elf. You might want to be a sorcerer, that kind of thing. So based on your character, you'll be able to uh, fight in that battle or do certain actions um, depending on the skills that you have at your disposal. So that's a rough um, rundown. Of course, you if you want to do something to see if you succeed or not, you have to roll the famous dice. And it's like there are seven dice. Yes, yes. So the most mm-hmm. famous one is the D20, which is the 20-sided dice, which is what you'll roll to say you want to be like, I roll over the dead body and, you know, check its pockets. And then sometimes the dungeon master will say, okay, you have to roll for that. So you will go ahead and roll and there'll be a certain number that you have to roll to succeed uh, that or above. So there's some dice rolling. There's some banter between the people in your party. That's where the role playing comes in. And it's just a really nice way to get immersed in a story in a different way. And it's especially good if you have a really, really good dungeon master who's able to guide you through because you're part of it as well. You're saying, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, you're very much involved. It's actually a really creative and social way to enjoy a bit of a fantasy tabletop role playing game. Well, that's the important part, isn't it? It's tabletop, a group of friends. There's physical iconography, the dice, the little characters that you move around the board. The dungeon master is sort of ensconced behind a screen so that you can't see notes. and, and, And often people costume. Yes, exactly. So I think it's becoming much more into the cultural mindset. Obviously, it was popularized way back in like the 60s or 70s, I think, but I think Stranger Things went a long way to helping people be more familiar with D&D. There's also a fab community episode that's very D&D light, but it gives you a a sort of a feel of what role-playing games are like. It's also, according to Stranger Things, a gateway game into Satanism. So, you know, all good things. That was an absolute (laughs) real fear that happened back way back when people thought that kids playing D&D were dabbling in Satanism, but the kids are always dabbling in something these days. Uh, Hi, this is Jim Beaver. I play Bobby Singer on the TV series Supernatural, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM Zero G. So needless to say, there's quite a big fan base for Dungeons and Dragons. And I think having a movie that will please and delight both the fans and people who are just absolutely don't have no idea about D&D at all is a tough ask. As we've seen from prior attempts, (laughs) there was a film in the year 2000, Dungeons and Dragons, which starred Jeremy Irons, Thora Birch, and Justin Weiland, who was actually in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. That one was a bit of a stinker. So that dropped flat like a stone, unfortunately. And then following on from that, there was a foray into a TV movie and another movie that kind of went completely under the radar and just slipped off into the mist, basically. And so this is really tried to shake off the ghosts of those previous movies. It's its own thing. It's starting afresh while, of course, tapping into the lore. So it is set inside the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. So that's a very famous and popularized D&D setting. So that's where this movie is set. Honor Among Thieves. And it's directed by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. Now, they're writing partners and they've written quite a few scripts that we do know and love. They've written Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, Spider-Man Homecoming and Horrible Bosses. And they did also write and co-direct Game Night. Have you seen Game Night, Rob? No. Probably more of a 
crime, silly comedy caper, but it's actually really good. And I think you can tell, obviously, they love a board game. They love a tabletop game. I think you probably get the sense. So this is their next foray into directing together. So they've co-directed this one and the story's come a long way. There's also had another writer involved in the screenplay, Michael Giglio, and he's also written for Honor Among Thieves as well. So these guys have got a solid background in comedy and they've also got a bit of a background in working with more of an ensemble as well. Before we go any further, how about we have some music? Because one of the things that stood out for me from this movie was both the sound design i really enjoyed that in the cinema Mm -hmm. and you know you sort of crave a good sound design yes sweet in a cinema and also the the music i thought the soundtrack for this was excellent really Uh, in the same way that um witcher blood origin soundtrack was really really good Mm -hmm. maybe the show wasn't too good Mm -hmm. but the, the soundtrack certainly was in this case got some great work by lorne belf who we've heard of a lot of before things like the crown and pennyworth mm-hmm. and man versus b you know the Ron oh, atkinson one that was actually really great score yeah yeah but you know lots of movies too and things like um ad astra with sherlock holmes a game of shadows and you know so he's done a lot of good work yeah and so he's done into the castle and this is from the Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. And I keep saying Honor Amongst Thieves because it <laughs> feels like it should have some more old-timey-wimey sort of <laughs> language. And instead they've really done this movie with colloquial English. So, you know, You're American kids. And, <laughs> but, you know, we'll go with this anyway because it's a really nice track and it's uh, describing a scene where they're infiltrating a castle, as you do in a D&D adventure in the movie. Dungeons and Dragons, or at least the latest one of those. Hi, I'm Andrea Thompson, and I played Talia Winters, resident commercial telepath on Babylon 5. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R, and I know what you're thinking. Yeah, well, there we have Lorne Balf running through the depths of, well, the dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there aren't that many dungeons in this. No, I mean, there is some dungeon areas, but there's a lot of out in the open air. <laughs> Do we have a dragon? Yes. Yeah. We do have a dragon. There's one, I think there's like <laughs> oh, one dungeon yes. and one dragon. <laughs> yes. One rather cumbersome dragon, yeah. I shall say, yes. in this context. <laughs> yeah. So Lauren Balf did the soundtrack for this and it's a very serviceable soundtrack indeed. So yep. check that out independently of the movie. So onwards with Dungeons and Dragons. Honor Among Thieves. Yes, so it is a comedy adventure heist, which is one of my favourite genres, and it's basically a cast of ragtag characters who band together in the face of adversity to steal back a MacGuffin and realise that, of course, in the end it was the friends you made along the way. So it's a bit of a dungeon crawl. There is a heist element, as I mentioned, and I think part of the inspiration for the film was they were looking to things like Indiana Jones, Princess Bride. For me, it's pitched in the same tone as things like The Mummy, like a lot of those 80s and 90s action-adventure films. It's really firmly within that realm where there are stakes, but overall you know that you're just going to have a ripping good time along the way and you're going to end up in a place that leaves you with a smile on your face. And I think that's just a fair summation of the film itself. 
Just to dive deeper into the plot, actually, more specifically, we do have our charming bard, our very jokey hero at the center of this. So he's a bard turned thief. And of course, there is a dark past. And that's Edgin played by Chris Pine. So he enlists the help of a longtime friend, fellow thief and barbarian Holger, played by the wonderful Michelle Rodriguez, having a great time getting to smash heads in this and swing axes and so so on and so forth. Is she buffed up for Fast and Furious, whichever number they're up to? <laughs> yeah. I think she's been keeping in shape to be in those movies for sure, and she's she swings into that role really well. I think she was such a good choice. So they also band together with Simon, who's a sorcerer still developing his magic. Simon's played by Justice Smith. Uh, and they bring into the fold Doric, who's a formidable tiefling druid played by Sophia Lillis. And they all go on this adventure heist to retrieve an iconic item, the Tablet of Reawakening. And ultimately the goal is to reunite Edgin with his daughter and defeat the rogue lord Forge Fitzwilliam, played by a having a great time Hugh Grant. Such an avuncular rogue in this one. <laughs> <laughs> He just rolled up to work and was like, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Like, I think everyone was having fun in their role, and I think it was all very perfectly cast, to be honest. What, yeah. What were your thoughts on the party? First off, I totally agree that it felt like half a dozen 80s fantasy movies munged together, mm-hmm. but the better ones, yes. you know. <laughs> if I had to say something that I, I had a good time with it back in the day, it was like um, Beastmaster or something like oh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so but Beastmaster with the production values of Conan the Barbarian, the, uh, the Schwarzenegger Emilias film, and this one I thought was great. I, I just enjoyed it. I had a, a hell of a time. I, I wouldn't say it was like – Absolutely fantastic, the best fantasy film I've ever seen. Yeah. But, my gosh, on a rainy Saturday afternoon in Melbourne, (laughs) it was exactly what I wanted to see. Yeah. And I think the thing is we've had a decent amount of your serious fantasy or and especially in the form of TV, like things like Rings of Power and Game of Thrones. Like we have a lot of fantasy that's, that's, you know, dark high fantasy where we're really getting in, sitting down and getting – kind of going through the ringer as we as we go through these stories whereas what i've been missing and i didn't realize till i saw this film is fun adventure fantasy where you can there is a beautiful world built that you can get a sense of and you can follow characters that are very easy to like from the get go it's not an overly plotted story it's not complicated it there's not secret twists here and there it's just a very nice story that you can follow along with and enjoy and just have a really good time along the way. And I think part of what made it so enjoyable for me was I think the casting was really great. So a lot of it is obviously going to hang on the chemistry between the characters. I think Chris Pine is already doing a lot of heavy lifting here and this is the exact kind of role that he excels in. Yeah. Is, you know, hero at the centre a little bit of shadows there, but at the end of the day is just going to always bring a light-hearted energy to the whole piece. Mm. And I'm saddened that they don't have any of his songs on the soundtrack yeah. album. <laughs> yes. Yes, there's a couple of bits of sing because, of course, he is a bard. And, you know, I think the chemistry between him and the others, so that includes Michelle Rodriguez as Holger, Obviously, that role, you know, again, they're all a bit stereotypical, but that's okay. So Barbarian, a little bit gruff. She was exiled from her homeland and she's kind of swung in and 
really has helped Edgen, Chris Pine's character, raise his daughter, played by Chloe Coleman, who we've been seeing just everywhere lately. Most recently I saw her in 65. I mean, I'd rather forget most of that film. So they've got a little bit of a found family vibe right from the start. And I think, you know, it's that ah-ha-ha jokey hero with the sidekick. I mean, it's rude to call her a sidekick because she does a lot of the fighting, but with the, you know, the counterpart who is more dark, a bit more gruff. And, you know, that's a tale as old as time, but it works really well for a reason. Hey, did you like Sophia Lillis playing Doric, the, the druid? Yes. Because we've seen her so recently in It, yes. the movies. Yeah, so she was Beverly in the two It movies that were directed by Andy Machete, and I thought she was a pretty good Beverly. I think she was also in that, remember that TV show that we watched where she played a I'm teen a- that had the emerging powers? Yeah, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this. Yeah, she was fantastic yeah. in that as well. But, yes, her as Doric, I mean, What a cool character. I feel like if I watched this and I was a teen, I'd be like, yes, this is who I want to follow the story of. I'll be dressing up as her for Halloween because she's a tiefling. She has like a tail and she has little kind of horns as well. And she has the ability to shapeshift into different animals, which I think resulted in some of the coolest special effects that we saw in the film as well. I thought that was some pretty amazing sequences as we watch her play the role of shape-shifting to kind of get in and out of certain situations. She has a history with uh, their half-elf sorcerer, Simon, played by Justice Smith. Well, I last saw him in The Quarry, actually, the video game that I covered a couple of weeks back. He was an actor in that, but obviously he was also in the Detective Pikachu movie, which I think most people would recognise him from. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he is fantastic. He's kind of getting a grip on his powers. He's got a long line of wizards before him, so he should be coming into this amazing power but isn't quite getting there when we meet him at the start of the film. And, yes, he had a failed wooing of Sophia Lillis's character, Doric. So let's see if he can scrabble his way back into her heart. Hello, this is Paul McGann. I play the eighth incarnation of The Doctor, and you are listening to 3 FM. You know, we have various villains, and there's a um, chief enemy wizard, I suppose. Yes, the red wizard, uh, Sophina. Mm, played by Daisy Head. Who we have seen before. It's hard to tell because she's got her head shaved in this. Oh, that's where I saw her. So she plays uh, Genya in uh, the Netflix show Shadow and Bone. Another fantasy. Actually, that's a good shout. I was talking about the lack of fantasies, and I think Shadow and Bone is one that's been floating around quite a bit lately. Yeah, Sophina. So, I mean, that character is deliberately meant to be kind of a background villain, formidable but not very full of life or character. Thought they could have done a bit more with that character. Actually, speaking of her character, she's part of an apocalyptic stakes trope in this film and I have not seen something that is so potentially world-changing treated as just background before in a movie. Yes. (laughs) It just kind of drifts away. We'll get to that. That's oh, great. by the way, her, her name is Daisy Head, and she is, of course, the daughter of Anthony Head from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, amazing. I didn't realise that. That's a really good tidbit. Mm. I think we should also put shout out Renee Jean Page. So he helps our little crew along the way. He's a paladin. He's charismatic perfect, amazing, (laughs) everything that Chris Pine's character thinks that he isn't. Um, But on the console of 
heroism, all of the sliders are pushed right up to the stops on him, deliberately so. You know, if he turned to the camera and a little sparkle came from his perfect white teeth, (laughs) you would not be surprised. It doesn't, they don't go quite that far, but he is obviously insanely noble and good. Yeah, yeah. And Chris Pine really, really works on that in his description of the character and and moments. And I think there's a lot of humour involved in that. He is the perfect knight. (laughs) Oh, and they really play with that. And like you said, just the interactions and the scenes they all have when they're sort of hanging out with him. And just, you know, he's so serious as well. Like He's very serious, straight and narrow, very good. And so I think, yeah, Renee Jean-Page, who probably is most well known for being in Bridgerton, the Netflix series, he does that really beautifully. And again, his chemistry with the other characters just works so well. I think they've just pitched this perfectly. And that includes all of the casting and what they do with the characters, especially when you have this many to juggle. Should we listen to another track before we kind of wrap up our final thoughts on this one? Yes, I would like to point out some other characters. You've got the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon characters. Oh, they're all in the gladiatorial games in this. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, Bradley Cooper. Yes, has a cameo. Has a, a small role in this, shall we say? And if you're in Australia, which we are, the surreal comedy group Auntie Donna, they provide the voices for the corpses yes, in the graveyard. I can't believe I nearly forgot to mention Auntie Donna. This was a real delight for me because I'd seen they were in this movie and I was a bit shocked by it because I love Auntie Donna. And that was also part of the, the reason why I wanted to go along and, and see their role as some corpses in the graveyard. Now, there's some more Australian content in the soundtrack. We've got Wings of Time, which is by Tame Impala, Mm. who have done work before on motion pictures, including Minions, Rise of Gru. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm there for Gru, always. And Minions too. (laughs) So Wings of Time from the Dungeons & Dragons Honour Among Thieves soundtrack album. This is George Romero, and I wouldn't be caught dead listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Yeah, Wings of Time from the motion picture soundtrack Dungeons and Dragons, Tame Impala. They're a bit of Aussie psychedelica, I suppose, is the word for that. So, yeah, they've actually gone out of their way to do localised sort of blips for different countries. Mm. Like, you know, you get the corpses, voices of Auntie Donna in Australia, other places, different things. I think that's kind of neat. Dungeons and Dragons, Honour Among Thieves, is a film that walks like an A-grade movie, even though it does not mess up those funky little B-grade themes and tones that they are playing to. And I think that's great. It's, I won't, look, I won't disparage it by saying it's a film that knows its place because that's just ugly. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is a film that, that works on many of the levels that it sets out to work on and achieves a bit more than that, I think. The, the chemistry between the cast is great. Mm-hmm. I think where they might be let down a little bit is with their dialogue. Mm. But it captures to me, with my limited experience, the feeling of the gameplay of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah. And the planning, because uh, Chris Pine's character is a planner as well as being a a harper slash bard, I think they actually managed to get the as that aspect of it well and truly in play, which is hard to do. Yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, you know, and there are places where they have like plan A and plan B and plan C and plan B doesn't work and they go back to plan A. Yeah. I thought that was deftly done. Agree. I think the amount of the strong dose of silliness while still maintaining like good quality story, good quality characters, like this is just fun. I think it's very likable film. I, it's really pitched just the right, just the right level. I totally agree with you that I think it doesn't do anything more or less than it should. There's enough emotion there to propel it forward without it like wallowing in its own issues or like putting the characters through all this additional turmoil. And it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it still provides like legitimate little Easter eggs for Died in the Wool D&D fans. It respects the source material and it does so with a lot of heart and humour. I don't think anyone's taking the piss at anything. They're just enjoying taking the piss at themselves and just having a bit of fun with it. And I just really enjoyed spending time in a fantasy setting like this. I think the world building was really rich. It did just enough. And again, like the elements of humour and absurdity just worked so well because there's also action, stakes, tension, just enough paired with this kind of cosy sense of friendship, which I think really helps make the film feel like something you want to watch. Like I would definitely spend more time here if they were to turn this into a franchise. (laughs) I do think I agree with you a bit in maybe the script I think the ending obviously is a little predictable. There's nothing intricate happening plot-wise, but I think the characters acting and the action just hold it all together enough that I don't even care that there's not some complicated heist plot, really. Yeah. I found some of the stereotypes just a little close to being on the nose, like sizeism-wise. If that's a thing, yeah, you know, I mean, the overweight dragon. I thought that was a little bit, but it is a dragon, you know. So I just, I just sort of might call that out. No, and I can see also that. the the big little gag that's involved with uh, Michelle Rodriguez's character's former husband. You know, mm. I thought that was a little bit, oh, you know, we're kind of in halfling hobbit territory though. So, And that is a thing in the Dungeons and Dragons universe yeah. because, of course, D&D is vacuuming up all of the other fantasy tropes and putting them into a game setting. We know that. Yeah. But, you know, I just thought I'd mention that. Mm. I don't know if I'm going anywhere with that, <laughs> but, you know. No, that's fair it, It's there. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoy so much of this movie. I'm quite happy with it. And, again, yeah, I would watch a franchise of this, mm-hmm. maybe with some new characters added in along the way, as you would expect. Yep. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're working on a TV series, actually, and there's a bunch of tie-in novels and things, so yeah. we're going to get more. <laughs> well, it, as I said, perfectly good and serviceable soundtrack by Lauren Balf, which rises well above where I'd expected it to be at places. Mm-hmm. And it does get a little bit squashed by the sound effects being played at quite loud levels throughout <laughs> the action sequences. Yeah. That's all right because you can listen to it on Zero G, <laughs> as we just played earlier on. There is another track I want to play to go out with from this. What they've done is they've put some different soundtrack mixes together for different countries of release so in france they've got uh, mylene farmer doing a track called uh, the emprise from an album of the same name uh, it's a 12th studio album and 
it's a, a concept album and it's about um person who's sort of like being psychologically manipulated so on the cover there's a person in a fetal position against a, a dark background so you know there's all that sort of stuff <laughs> yes so obviously this is just the sort of thing you want for a um, <laughs> dungeons and dragons soundtrack but it's a nice track anyway so i thought i'd play it here from an alternative since you haven't given me a chris pine track i know with him being bad, <laughs> naughty people they really should have done that yeah. maybe they'll release it later on maybe like chris pine will have this whole album oh wouldn't that be so cool we would play that album on zero g absolutely yeah so here we go with the emprise by mylene farmer from the eponymous album, but also on the French soundtrack of Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Hi, this is Jeff Wayne, composer and producer of my musical version of H.G. Wells's classic science fiction story, The War of the Worlds, supporting the War on Terror, that's T-E-R-R-A, on Zero G, on 3 triple oola <laughs> FM. Yeah, well, that was Marlene Farmer's Le Emprise track from the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves French soundtrack release. Mm. Hmm. Wrapping up, you did that very Yoderish thing, Megan. Or actually, like a Skexis from Dark Crystal, which is not that far from Yoder being Henson Creature Shop. Now, Megan's vocal expertise aside, we are now moving into a look at the Big Door Prize, which is one of those uh, Apple Plus TV streaming services shows. And it's a very, very gentle and delicate show, much like the butterfly wings that form part of its opening titles. I've seen, I think, about five episodes, which is all that have dropped so far. Mm-hmm. I think it's been renewed for a second season, huh. which is not surprising. It's a very slow burn show set in the small town of Deerfield, USA but actually filmed in the much more sweaty Atlanta, Georgia, (laughs) that mecca for American television shows. Mm -hmm. And in Deerfield, there is a town and convenience store, Mr. Johnson's store, in which overnight appears a mysterious morpho machine, as in morphing into things. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, it's got a butterfly logo on it. And its little doors open out like butterfly wings. When you go in there, if you put in $2, you get a little card that predicts, yeah, bargain, that shows you your, um, well, your best destiny, basically. It's printed on the card, Mm. what you would be best served to be doing, which will be at odds, of course, with most people. (laughs) (laughs) And if it isn't, then that causes problems too. Oh, so that, in a, a nutshell, gives you that sort of concept of what the show is about. It's been show run by David West Reed, who's a Canadian TV writer and a playwright and producer. And you will know him most commonly for Shit's Creek. <sighs> and he also did the book for the stage musical And Juliet. Oh, Currently yes, showing so in Melbourne. Is it really? I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Okay, there you go. How topical and I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> we call this a high concept. Mm-hmm. It's based on a book by M.O. Walsh, Louisiana-based 
writer, or at least he was born and raised there, and he's done quite a bit of work in, well, I would call it not exotic fiction, but very eclectic sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this to me is an extension of that kind of style of work. Now, the Morpho machine, it's got old-style arcade machine graphics. For $2, it predicts your best life potential. It needs your social security number and fingerprints. Of course it does. <laughs> to work. So you automatically start thinking, is it like working on an algorithm, that kind of thing? Mm. Is it going to turn caterpillars into butterflies? Well, it's certainly going to make a few waves in this small town where everybody knows each other and everybody else's business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's got already got that small town procedural stuff in play, perhaps a little bit too much in play. And this machine is calling back to the Zolta fortune-telling machines that you used to find a lot in um, arcades and carnivals and amusement parks, you know, that sort of thing. And this has been a fairly consistent trope across American television for quite some time. The one I'm thinking of is the one that most people who are looking at that are thinking of is the, the Nick of Time episode from, I think, season two of Twilight Zone from 1960, which is one of those expertly drafted stories by Richard Matheson and had uh, William Shatner in it, actually. There was a couple who uh, go into a diner and they're off on their honeymoon and they see this little machine and you put money into it and you get a fortune told, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's very much like that. But, you know, it could also riff off the 1988 uh, film Big by Penny Marshall. Even in games like um, Bioshock, They've got fortune-telling uh, machines. Um, Epstein the Swami, I think it was, according to my notes that oh. I wrote. I'm not having no idea at all I, what it was. No, but I love know. Bioshock, and I cannot for the life of me remember it, just decide I need to replay it. All good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> William Shatner and Patricia Breslin, I think, did it best in Nick of Time in that Twilight Zone one. Well, let's just hear a quick bit from the soundtrack, and this is like the, the main title theme from... The Big Door Prize. Yeah, that's the main title theme from the Big Door Prize series. And that sounds like so many different things. It's almost a bit Black Mirror-ish, mm. actually. And, you know, if this were an episode of Black Mirror, it would have to go really bleak and nasty along the way. <laughs> yes, but this is much more twee, right? This is it's firmly. Yeah, that's that's what I felt. That's a good word for it, actually, twee and whimsical. And that was by Zachary Dawes and Nick Senna, who've turned out a perfectly workmanlike soundtrack for the Big Door Prize. So, okay, you've got a whole bunch of characters in this. As usual in the small town, they're all different grades, different stages of their life, story arcs. Chris O'Dowd plays Dusty. He's a whistling history teacher. That's actually what his card says. (laughs) I'll give you a spoiler. (laughs) So he actually fits into the mould, and, of course, that's going to cause him problems too. Mm -hmm. Look, we know Chris O'Dowd from the IT crowd and all sorts of other things, a few science fiction, the Cloverfield Paradox. Um, He was the sort of haven't got a chance boyfriend in uh, Thor, The Dark World. Remember that oh, little sequence he was in in that? Right. He, oddly enough, was in, in an episode of one of those reboot Twilight Zones hmm. stories too. Think nothing really like what he's doing here. But, yeah, he's a reliable comedian. He delivers a certain amount of shtick. 
And in it, this, he's got actually quite a delicate and nuanced performance. But he's in the role of the skeptic about this gotcha. mysterious wonder machine. Yeah. So you can expect him to always be pulling back from it because because he got a, what he thinks is not a too good a deal, yeah. at least initially in his prediction. And you've got people who are going to cleave to this straight away who, you know, they, and there's a line around the block for this machine sort of thing. And other people are just going, to, no, I'm not going to have a bar of that. Yeah. You know. well, better to know or not to know. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, how much, it's a machine with a card that comes out. How much are you going to believe yeah. in that sort of thing? Mm. Well, for the purposes of the plot, a lot actually <laughs> in this small town is it, it sends repercussions like a Butterfly's wing rippling through time if you step on it in the past, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, we've got playing his wife, uh, Gabrielle Dennis, plays the character of Cass. We've seen her before. She played the Tilda Johnson character in the Marvel comic book series, Luke Cage, mm. playing a character called Nightshade, which they didn't make too much of in the actual show, yeah. rather more important in the, in the comic books as a, a sub-villain sort of thing. Yeah, she's quite good and she's believable. And what I love about it, and I'm going to wreck it here, uh, her character and the fact that the character is married to the Chris O'Dowd character. It's a, a mixed-race couple that they never mention a word of in that context at all in the, in the show as far as I've seen so far. Mm. I'll mention it because I love the fact that it's not mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> you know. In this day and age, like, you'd love it if we didn't have to call it out. Like, it was just a, the norm, but oftentimes shows do make a big deal about yeah, the composition of couples, be it race, gender, all kinds of things. So, yeah, wouldn't it be great to just have people be who they are? And now I've wrecked that. <laughs> so. No, we're just saying that we want more of it. We want more of the non-mentioning. Yeah. Uh, Captain Catherine Janeway of the Federation Starship Voyager. Zero G is fun, as you were. Now, where would a self-reflective meta postmodern quantum television show be without its carefully curated needle drops? The big door prize is no exception, and here's one that ran the Vinyl Canyon in the first season at an appropriate moment. It's called Angel, and it's a 2001 track by Jamaican reggae artist Shaggy with vocals from Barbadian singer Ravon. Also munging together the Steve Miller Band's 1973 song, The Joker. And, of course, Chip Taylor's 1967, Angel of the Morning, all bundled together in Shaggy's Hot Shot album. Hello, this is Wendy Padbury. I played Zoe Herriot on Doctor Who and Sue Craig on Free Wheelers. You're listening to Zero G on 3 RFM. Zero G? Well, I'm quite sure that doesn't add up. A sharp needle drop from Series 1 of the Big Door Prize on Apple Plus TV. Shaggy and Ravon via way of the Steve Miller Band and Chip Taylor from Shaggy's Hotspot album. In the show, it's underlining a deceased character's birthday. And speaking of other characters in the Big Door Prize, uh, Damon Gupton plays a... Uh, priest in the town and you can imagine that this sort of plays into his area of expertise so there's there's, there's that in there we've seen him in uh, the last airbender in 2010 but you may know him more for his role in deadline which i've not seen he's an orchestra conductor too oddly enough <laughs> Uh, we've got Josh Segara playing the owner of this awful theme restaurant in the town, which is like a sports bar type place where you can play games as well, you know, toss the basketball oh, yeah. sort of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his character's name is um, 
uh, Giorgio. We've also seen him in the Marvel context. He was one of the lawyers in the uh, in the law firm that um, Jennifer Walters worked in, GLK and H. He was actually nice to um, Jennifer oh. Walters, whether she was She-Hulk or not. Okay, you know, we like so him then. He, he's a little bit more uh, on the nose in, in this one. He's mm-hmm. He had a high school crush on the Cass character, so he's a little bit at odds with that family and Chris O'Dowd and all that kind of thing. You've got uh, Crystal R. Fox, who you'll know more as an American actress and singer, but, you know, you, you've pretty much got the outline of it. My big problem with this so far, five episodes in, and maybe this is just me. I mean, you know me in procedural. Mm. We don't know anything about this fortune-telling machine after five episodes. Yeah, right. So they're focusing more on the characters, the small town, and, like, it's meant to be, it's actually a bit of a MacGuffin, but you're waiting for a bit more explanation about the machine. Well, I'm okay with it because it's such a, a nicely written show and it's basically about the shipping between the characters Mm-mm. at the moment. But I'm at the stage where I want to see some answers. Yeah. I mean, did the Morpho machine fall off the back of a celestial department store space truck and is somebody going to come looking for it or is it a, an escapee from the cosmic carnival sideshows of the greatest show in the galaxy? I want to know more. Yeah. You know, is it a data-gathering exercise by... Skynet or something like that. Who knows? Mm. They know, and I want to know a little bit. Maybe I'm not in the right place. Maybe I want a, a few more explanations. Maybe I should be putting my mind into a more sort of relaxed and surreally whimsical sort of mode, like if I was in the in Northern Exposure, oh, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or like yeah. Resident Alien, which was like much about the townspeople and those relationships as it was about, you know, the alien. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it was also about the alien and there was a lot of procedural about the character. I haven't seen Schitt's Creek. Is this kind of in that sort of wheelhouse? I don't think from the sounds of it. I think because Schitt's Creek is, is a sitcom really and very beloved. I don't – there's zero genre elements, so I can't imagine. I don't know. But I think it's enjoyable. I think as well it sounds like this has gone in a different direction. So, But it's probably yeah. from the sounds of it, like I said, focusing more on the characters and the – repercussions of a machine like this rather than trying to explore the machine itself. So I wouldn't be surprised if you go the whole season without finding out anything about the machine. So brace yourself. (laughs) Brace myself for no further revelations. There are some little mild bits as they go along where they they circle back to the machine and you go, oh, that's interesting. That tells us a little bit more. (laughs) Maybe I'm just being too mechanical minded in this. I will admit that's a possibility. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think that uh, there's not too much more to say about it at this stage. As I said, I've seen about five episodes, and each episode is based around the particular character who they've decided to give the card from the machine to this week. Uh, And they're actually playing around with some flashbacks, so they'll have gotten the card earlier. I think it would reward watching. Mm -hmm. I'm all right with Mm -hmm. it so far. Uh, It is a very gentle and laid-back show so far. Uh, if I don't get more answers in the next few episodes, I'll turn feral. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'll turn as feral as I did with the Foundation series, which I liked to start with and then it went awful. Oh, my yeah. God, and it was so far from the novels. But, you know, the big door prize, and this is on um, Apple Plus TV. All right, so we'll go out with a track. Oh, I had a various sorts of uh, choices here. I think we'll actually go with Changes since that's what people are undergoing when they get their destiny card from the Morpho machine. And oddly enough, 
I hadn't realised this. It's this is the version by Butterfly Boucher. There you go. It does actually feature David Bowie, and it's from the Shrek Two original motion picture soundtrack <laughs> album. <laughs> so, Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. And thank you to Alice Savage, our podcaster. And thank you, Thank Megan. you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.